Welcome to the FinOps Fridays podcast, where we discuss all things FinOps. It's an educational resource to help you learn and build your capability in all things FinOps. We're also here to have fun, so we'll make it entertaining, have a few laughs, and share a few stories. Alrighty, and welcome to the next episode of FinOps Friday. Today, we are going to be talking about metrics that matter with Mr. Malatric. Eric, do you want to give us a quick introduction of yourself, uh, your background, uh, and what you specialize in? Sure, Nathan. Uh, first off, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, my name is Eric Malatric. I work for a company called Boomi that was previously owned by Dell, but is now on its own. We are the leading integration platform as a service vendor, and you can leverage us to automate your business processes and connect those people to the business processes in all areas of your business in an automatic fashion. Now about myself, I am a FinOps lead here at Boomi, and I am the sole person responsible for what's called FinOps, and I've been doing it for about three years, and I am actually looking forward to expanding the team to uh, two additional resources coming soon. Awesome. Uh, and it's always interesting to hear from our guests, what were you doing before FinOps? Like, what was that job that got you into FinOps and how did you, you stumble across FinOps? I was the director of infrastructure operations for Boomi. I've been in infrastructure operations for most of my professional career. And I came to Boomi to do the same thing. And uh, this is a true story. One of the funny first items that I had to deal with was in our previous uh, vendor that we used for data center or infrastructure hosting. Uh, they charge you, of course, by the infrastructure, you know, whether it's running or uh, whether you're using it or not, and it's running. So what happened is um, we accidentally had left a DR test on for a while and then went on vacation. And I came, I started a while is an uh, hour. It was a long time, unfortunately. And, um, we, you know, that was my first lesson learned almost into, uh, FinOps. You know, we got to pay attention to what we're doing because you are indeed paying for it, you know, whether you use it or not. And it was a, a definite learning experience, uh, dovetail to moving into AWS, which is where we have landed, um, as of, I guess about three years ago now, almost four years, we moved into AWS and then quickly discovered that, hey, you know what? It's a little bit more expensive than we had anticipated and our tagging strategy wasn't in existence at that point in time. So it was really hard to understand, you know, what costs were going where. We had, you know, sandboxes and non-production environments and then a production environment. And really, I could not tell you, you know, who was using what within non-production. Within production, it's a little bit more easy to understand because we're yep. Yep. somewhat of a pretty static configuration, or we were at the time. And I knew where those costs were going, but R&D on the uh, non-production side was very, very difficult to understand. Yeah, like 101 FinOps is just the, the same that everyone has. Um, all right, so let's talk metrics. Metrics are great. They help you to understand where you actually are in, in terms of uh, your journey, your process, also where you're heading and help you to be able to understand when and where you need to 
take corrective action. Uh, they can also be a complete waste of your time, mislead you and be complete and utter red herrings. Um, do you have a big focus uh, where you are, Eric, on metrics in your business in general, like not just FinOps, but you know, metrics-driven company as a whole? Yes. And one of the metrics that I really latched onto about a year ago was just unit costs. You know, what, for example, is a unit of business within our organization and what does it cost? Because traditionally, when you're working with cloud service providers, I don't know about you, Nathan, but I, I see spend that just continues to go up and up and up, which, you know, if you don't have a unit, you can't really tell if that's a good thing or a bad thing. And really where it comes, to, uh, you know, where it becomes very powerful is say I have, you know, 5,000 clients out there and my cost is X. Well, what happens if I go to the cost or what happens if my clients, you know, double and I have 10,000 clients now and my cost has also doubled? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? But at the end of the day, if you break it down to that bare unit and you can see your client growth going up, likely you should see a decrease in your cost per whatever, you know, your cost per client, which would indicate to me that, you know, we are going in the right direction. We are actually having more business come in and our costs are actually, our unit costs are actually going down, which is showing me that, like I said, we're moving in the right direction. And it gives you some fodder to be able to push back on the folks who say, well, you know, AWS is too expensive. You got to go decrease the cost, right? At the end of the day, I come back and say, well, look, our unit cost has been going down. Do we need to decrease the cost? What about you, yeah, Nathan? The, the, you know, in, in, in your experiences with data and, and metrics, you know, what have you encountered in your experiences uh, from what, what is a good metric to track you know, as you're starting out in a FinOps journey? Yeah, no, 100%. And that was the story of my life when I did work at a cloud vendor. It was exactly that. There was the cloud saying, come to the cloud, it's cheaper, it's cheaper, it's cheaper. The other message was, oh, so much innovation, so much agility, you can do so many things. So customers would go there and that they would see exactly what you saw, that their bill was increasing because they were doing this innovation. They were doing more than what they were before because they simply couldn't do it with the constraints. So that was always a thing I'd go out to a customer, work with them and say, hey, your bill is going to go up full stop. What you need to understand is why. Is it because of the innovation? Typically, that's exactly what we saw. You're doing more things. You were doing things that you could not do before, building more features, servicing more clients that you couldn't possibly get to. Uh, that was years out of my life, um, helping customers understand that it wasn't a bad thing. And it was also great to be able to go to the engineers and try and get them to empower and take on that metric so they could turn around when somebody that wasn't sort of aware of this was way back in the day when sort of FinOps was quite early on, there was separate FinOps and a separate IT. So FinOps would come down because they weren't really involved with IT, there was no relationship, come down with a big stick saying cost, cost, cost. They could turn around and say, hey, we're actually getting good. Uh, so 100% there and in, you know, well-architected. That was what cost optimization was all about. Business outcomes at the lowest possible price. It wasn't thing getting things cheaper. It was outcomes at a price point. So yes, 100% aligned. And that is the thing that, you know, is the sort of that, that concrete set in stone metric that we need to go towards. Right. Um, and you mentioned, oh, so you mentioned innovation. And I, I like to hear that because, you know, in a, in a heritage data center, in a, 
legacy infrastructure as a service provider that may take time to be able to deploy new infrastructure because you have to wait for, say, systems to actually appear, you can now build out anywhere and immediately start servicing new customers. And for our example, when we moved to AWS, we were able to grow out globally very quickly because we built our infrastructure as code and we were able to run more or less, you know, scripts to stand up the new infrastructure leveraging CloudFormation templates. That, because of that, we were able to start recognizing revenue in other countries that we wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. And that is the beauty of the cloud, right? You know, our spend has gone up, yes, but so have our customers. And that's what really matters here. Yeah, uh, like some of the great examples customers used to have uh, online real estate, the amount of features they could do, videos, all the things that they just could not do before. There was um, yeah, an airline company. They needed a supercomputer for a day so that they could calculate weather patterns to know if they could make a flight. They couldn't buy a supercomputer and do a calculation and let it sit there because it's too expensive. Sure. Whereas now with, with the cloud, they could actually do that supercomputer for a day, pay for a day, run the simulation, say, hey, we can make this leg with the weather patterns that it was. Like it's just not possible at all in a business sense before cloud. Really, really interesting. Um, Don't forget to turn of, it off when you're done though. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, <laughs> Which also is the beauty, you know, if you don't need it anymore and you're done with it, goodbye, and then you don't have to spend or pay for it anymore. Of course, of course. Um, in terms of metrics, um, what have some of the metrics help you achieve in your business? You know, you mentioned the unit metric, are there other metrics and what has been the business benefit or even, you know, cultural benefit from some of those metrics? Sure. So again, I mentioned these unit metrics that we have. Uh, we were able to look at some of the unit metrics that we have for a certain product line and un take a look at it and understand where we could make some opportunities to actually improve the efficiency. And by looking at that data and understanding our unit data, we're able to go through and right size some of the environments that we had out there. And we greatly impacted that unit metric just by making a few changes to a few environments that we had out there. But if we didn't have that data, it just it's cost data at the end of the day. You just see your cost going up, which is fine. But at the end of the day, if you can tell you know, what you know, one, in, or one um, incremental unit is going to cost, you have the power to really make those decisions about, you know, should we spend a little time to optimize this environment? And we did. It, it's been greatly beneficial to us just because we have that data in front of us and we track it. So, and I like the fact that you're able to take a business decision and analyze, is this worth doing and spending time on versus other things? But so the, so the unit metric was able to help you focus on an area of your platform or in, in your greatest system, it helped you, you find a specific area to focus on? It did, yes. Um, we, we looked holistically because it's a, a simple application at the end of the day. So we focus just on like the key infrastructure metrics, you know, just using, you know, CloudWatch data, for example, and then identifying like, oh, do we really need to have it at this size, you know, given our current footprint? And we were able to make those decisions about to shrink them and make it a business case. Like, all right, it's going to take us a couple hours to uh, shrink these systems, but it's going to lead to, you know, X, Y, and Z from an improved efficiency metric. At the end of the day, it was a no-brainer to go ahead and move forward with the efficiency opportunity increase, which greatly impacted our unit metric. But nice. if you don't have the data, then you're flying blind and you're kind of guessing if it makes sense or not. Um, which is, you know, if you look at like right-sizing in general, right? You know, that's a very basic 
exercise where you're matching the resources to the demand. But if you can spend some time just changing instance sizes, perhaps, like that might be some of the best, most easiest ways that you can get some efficiency gains within your environment, just like we did. Yeah, uh, dropping instance size is typically half the resources, half the cost. It, it's a great value there. Um, not asking you publicly to fall on your own sword. Maybe you have a friend. Uh, you, when have there been painful, when have metrics been painful and utterly useless and potentially driven negative outcomes or been gamed incorrectly? Yeah, when have metrics fallen, fallen flat for you or one of your close friends? Well, uh, with so one of the common FinOps metrics that I see is reservation or savings plan coverage and utilization. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you know, you can as savings plans and reserved instances, you know, move around. Well, savings plans primarily move around. They will latch on to the most expensive item first to save you the most, or not the most expensive item, the item that will save you the most money first. But the further and further covered you get, you may you may start covering resources that are going to save you 2%, 5%. You know, is that worth the spend that you've locked yourself or committed to? Or are you better using that capital elsewhere? Uh, these are, that that's my pet peeve metric but if you have like a very static workload and very predictable then you may be just fine using it but you have to be careful is my point and nathan what about you have you ever experienced any, <laughs> me any metrics that uh, have caused you to go down rabbit holes to uh you know scratch your head and like is, was this a good decision a bad decision what are we doing yeah, it's um, you bring up my, my pet hate. I appreciate that. For anyone that knows me or has known of me, uh, I am fierce in terms of utilization and coverage rates, percentages of commitment discounts. That's been my jam. I have very strong opinions of it. Um, and I think it really is, you know, those metrics for metrics sake. Somebody will say, somebody will publish, hey, 80%. And you think about it, you're like, you know, 80% because it covers most and you've got that little bit of wiggly variance, like 80% feels good, feels right. And whenever somebody presents you something, I would always thoroughly check, why not 79? Why not 81? Why is 80 the best number? Give me the, give me the data or show me why it's that. Um, and you never get an answer. And that to me is, is the perfect indicator that it's metrics for a metric's sake. Feels kind of good, but you know, we didn't get to the moon on feelings. Um, well, if I think to, back. To, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 jump in, jump in, stop me I, when I, I was going to say that to Adam, uh, on top of that, if you're a growing business and you're constantly adding you know, new customers or new regions or, or whatnot, and your AWS bill is going up, is 80% good? Or, or should you be higher because you're growing and you know confidently? that you're going to be able to reserve more, assuming that it makes sense uh, from a cost of capital perspective. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of people are going to say, well, hey, Eric, cost of capital, well, we do no upfronts. So you, you don't actually have an upfront. You know, some vendors only provide a no upfront model. Mm -hmm. So, hey, you know, like I'm not putting anything upfront. Yeah, but you're making a commitment. There is a risk there. I think the complete absence of the word risk has been appalling when it comes to things like commitments because there is a risk there. Like you talk to any finance basic, what is my return? What's the value going to be? Well, what's the risk of me being able to achieve that value and the return? Um, 
if I channel my days back at, at Well Architected uh, and Brian from Ops, you know, the very first principle in Well Architected, well, what are your business priorities? And your metrics must be aligned to that. What is it that your company is driving towards and wants to do? If it's growth, then as you said, 100%, you can go quite hard. But making sure that any metric has to be focused around what you as a business or organization are actually trying to achieve. If it's not aligned to that, chuck it in the bin or just deprioritize. Don't worry about it now. So I think making sure your metrics matter to your business. They're not just some abstract way of measuring for measuring's sake. It's something that somebody that's not in IT will actually care about. Yeah, enough ranting from me. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you think about this though, um, you know, I, I guess one of the reasons from like a coverage perspective would be like, or, or I guess the risk would be, you know, what happens if we make a big right sizing decision or, or, you know, some improvement to the architecture and my, you know, spend is going to go down and I'm overcommitted. If you're a growing business, that's likely not going to happen to you, I, I would assume. But, you know, your unit costs should go down if you are certainly tracking them, which would be a, a good indicator that you're moving in the right direction. And always to quote Mike Fuller, who is on your show, he likes to talk about, you know, metrics being pretty pictures without targets. If you have no targets on there, what is it at the end of the day? It's a pretty picture. If you have those targets on there and understand your targets and align them to your business goals, then you can track and see how well you're doing versus your metrics. And it can be an indicator of, yep, or we're making the right investment decisions in X, Y, and Z, or no, you know, maybe we need to change course and reevaluate where we are. Yeah, and I think, you know, I'll, I'll concede a slight amount of ground, you know, an arbitrary metric may help drive behavior as long as that is sort of set correctly. Again, if it's just right. arbitrary or for arbitrary's sake, then I'd, I'd say there's some issues there. But if it has set towards a known value or something that's been potentially understood over time, then it's not a bad thing. Right. Um, but if you don't have anything, you know, you're starting from square one, what are some, you know, in the AWS FinOps world or any cloud provider, you know, what are some good places to start from tracking KPIs? Even if it's just data, you're making... Having better information about you know what you're doing within the AWS or whatever cloud provider environment, you can tell we use AWS. I keep mentioning it by name. Um, yeah. So well, the, I mean, each of the <laughs> each of the vendors have uh, you know a well-architected type of framework. Um, so I would start to, and we were cautious when we developed that to not sort of have it as a scorecard. It's these are the best things you need to be doing. So I'd sort of start as that. It's always a good. Start with some best practices. What is your priority? These are the things we should be doing. Then the metrics and the goals, well, how much of that do we want to do? How do we measure if we're doing that correctly or not and what's acceptable to us? So I think in terms of getting started, understand what you should be doing and start to build that capability. I wouldn't probably, one of the first best practices was setting your goals and KPIs. That's around your business. And maybe your first goal and KPI is to understand what the best practices are and learn them and then iterate, iterate, go deeper, deeper on top of that. Um, I would typically, you know, if you're early on your cloud journey, it's about focusing on doing the best practices. I think metrics could potentially be a little bit distracting um, if they're not well thought out. Like if you're early on, you, I don't think it's feasible to have perfect metrics uh, right. for many parts of business. Of course, unit metrics, yes, but others maybe not. Right. And I mean, if you're talking about, you know, cloud providers in general, 
you know, there's the concept of modernity, right? How modern are your instances? And I know you, you may poke at me a little bit because uh, some older instance types may actually be cheaper when you reserve them compared to brand new ones. But having just an understanding of modernity, you know, where you stand, are you using, you know, R5 versus R6G? Maybe that's a bad example because that might require a re-architecture within your organization. But um, just to show case in point, you know, are how are you tracking towards achieving a goal? Say you set a goal for 80% R6G. How do you track that goal at the end of the day? Well, you can start looking at the data, understanding where you stand with less than R6G, and then start tracking as you start changing instance types throughout your environment, for example. Yeah, and that, that's a hard one to track. You know, looking at, you're going to start to take in trends, industry trends over time. And I think that was one of the things um, I wrote in one of the last papers was, in terms of legacy, like it's always expensive and, and to, to remove legacy, it's always going to be an expense. There's no fun. But today, now is the least expensive time to get rid of your legacy. So the longer you leave it, the more legacy it becomes. Potentially, the harder it is to find people with the relevant skills to be able to unpick and migrate it. So it's got to be that balance and trade-off much larger than, you know, cloud costs and FinOps. That what are the industry trends? Is it possible? Um, and in terms of sort of going back to your original question, I normally say, you know, you should be checking, is there value in doing something? And that really is the metric. You know, if you go into things like commitment recommendations or right sizing, is there anything there I can execute that will deliver value for my business? There's no recommendations there. You don't need a metric for it. Is there anything worth buying that will give me a value at low risk? No, don't do anything. Right sizing, is there anything going to give me value of the effort I will invest? Yes, there is. Well, then do it. Um, so right. that's sort and of come up with the, the plan, the, the business case for what it would take to right size to a different plan. I, I keep emphasizing the, the business case aspect, but if you're looking at you know, modernizing your application or re-architecting the serverless, build that business plan. You know, showcase what, if you can, how many hours it's going to take to accomplish X, Y, and Z. Showcase the cost savings, assuming that it's going to save you some, some cost savings. Or even, you know, to make it a step further, showcase, is this going to impact the way that my operation runs, uh, such as using serverless? Well, I no longer have to patch these servers. I no longer have to, you know, upgrade or reboot it when it goes down. You know, that's all taken care of by a managed service provider. It may cost more, but at the end of the day, are you actually saving yourself time where you can work on driving that business value and adding customer features that are going to bring in more business? And I like um, just stepping back. We seem to be saying the word business incredibly yes. frequently. Right. So we're not talking cost about, optimization so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like there's not, there's not many words of dollars or cost. And I think that's really important. We hit it. We're talking about metrics and we're continually saying business, business, business. Um, I think we've covered what a unit metric is. Um, Eric, what's the difference between a non-unit metric and a unit metric? And why are they, why is a unit metric so important versus a, a regular non-unit metric, I dare say? Uh, like a non-unit metric would potentially be like, again, coming back to the RI coverage or what percentage I am on R5 versus R6G. You know, it doesn't really tell a, a business story, whereas the unit metric is going to tell more of a business case. You know, if I add one customer, it's going to cost me $10. You 
that is a known quantity and you could potentially use that to leverage changing your pricing model. You know, say you're a very static, you know, monthly cost type of vendor out there. What if you can understand your unit costs and come up with a better pricing model for your business that may make your costs cheaper at the end of the day, which allows you to bring in more customers because your product is now, you know, more, I guess, you know, cheaper at the end of the day. So that that's the different, that's the way I look at it from a, a you know, business decision versus non-business. I keep coming back to business. Here we go again. More business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But unit to me is more business. I mean, you can have unit or unit metrics for like, you know, what is my cost per, you know, CPU or something like that as well. But again, I like to tie mine back to the business as much as I possibly can. Exactly. And I think it's from what you're sort of saying there as well, unit metrics are, are you know, are that prime goal of the, the, the foot in the ground sort of you can't go past it you can't argue with it that is the perfect metric these other metrics may not be as strong as long as they don't detract from that mm. unit metric or give you a difference if they're not aligned with that uh, the unit metric then there's a problem with those but having them you know you sort of said before in terms of modernization you may have a goal and a driver towards modernizing well there's a metric for that it sure. may not necessarily correlate strongly, but it's not going to fight against the unit cost, unit metric. Right. It may help the unit cost, though, at the end of the day, because if I switch to all R6G from R5, then it's going to you know, be 10% cheaper or whatever the, you know, the pricing is. Then that may greatly impact my unit metric. It really depends on where I'm using that infrastructure um, and if it's you know, servicing customers at the end of the day. Are there some good good metrics that are not that unit cost unit metric um, that you've come across that have been very helpful and useful? Of course, the uh, reservation cover. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like to look at, as I mentioned before, modernity, you know, how modern am I? I like to look at, I'll go back to like GP2 versus GP3. You know, GP3 came out, I don't know, a year and a half ago or a year ago, I forget when. But um, if you've run some performance testing on it, you may encounter that, maybe, you know, it's as performant and it may be sufficient for your application to run on. I like to track and make sure that we're moving forward with GP3. Um, same thing with like, do I clean up my snapshots? You know, do I have a snapshot policy? Um, I've so once, waste. waste is always bad. I, I, <laughs> I, yeah, like waste I define as something that has no business value, none. Like I could delete it today and it would have no impact to the, the business. Um, little story that I'd like to share, uh, given we've had AWS for a while, but we indeed have had snapshots out there that have persisted for years. Um, this was a while back now, of course, um, which I you know, had made sure that we removed all of them and it was you know, like 50,000 snapshots. It was, it was quite, a, quite a bit of them, but um, you know, just making sure that you're cleaning up you know, snapshots or at least having policies and some sort of governance around you know, having snapshots or having certain instance types, so on and so forth. Um, at least that's, that's my world. <laughs> Yep. Uh, for our, our viewers, uh, we're talking about GP2, GP3. Uh, they're a specific storage type on AWS. Uh, so just modernizing, making sure you're moving from 
older generations, previous technology onto newer technology. Um, something which is really interesting with the cloud, it is typically cheaper to move to the newer types and versions of particular resources. Uh, you'll also typically have uh, less operational issues as you're getting onto the newer hardware, which is refreshed more frequently. There's more of it as they decommission the old one. So general modernization, that's what you're there on the cloud to do anyway. So it's aligned with that business practice. Um, yeah, you mentioned, and you I, mentioned I, I was going to chime in once more uh, from a cloudability perspective. Another thing that I like is scorecarding uh, from the how elastic you are and from the right sizing perspective. I've used those particular metrics or data to show back to the engineers on how elastic they are, how right size they are, uh, as well as providing them with the information, of course, on what they can do to improve both scores. The elasticity is an interesting one. Um, and that was one thing I changed um, previously. You know, it was always, for years, it was, you know, make sure you match supply and demand. And I sort of took that, well, hang on a second. What about buffering, smoothing out those peaks, deferring processing, delay, things like batch jobs. You don't have to just throw resources when you've got something. Um, Cron-jittering. <laughs> exactly. Have you ever heard the term cron jittering? <laughs> no, no. At spreading out your cron jobs so they uh, execute at you know random intervals, as opposed to going midnight off, every you night. Know, at that time. <laughs> exactly, midnight every night. Yeah. I'm sure AWS or any cloud provider deals with that all the time because you know cron jobs run on the hour, so every hour happens, and then every customer has their cron job kick off at twelve o'clock, and then one o'clock causing uh, you, AWS, or you, GCP, to need to have more resources on hand. <laughs> yeah. So it was always, to me, after that, it was, you know, manage the demand. See if you can modify that demand. Maybe elasticity, just saying blanket elasticity is good. Like, well, no, well what are you doing? If you're, uh, you know, a mechanical facility that just has, you know, messages every second, there's no elasticity in your requirements. So elasticity is of no use at all to your organization. So when you spoke then about elasticity, are you looking at sort of your incoming workload elasticity and then sort of matching that with your resources? Two ways. I'm looking at it from a perspective of, number one, how good am I at following the demand that my workload requires um, and is thrown at it? And then two, uh, in non-production environments, we like to turn off things on nights and weekends. So how good are we at turning things off on nights and weekends? Yeah, awesome, awesome. All right, so we're gonna take a quick break now for our speed round questions. This is where we ask our guest a couple of non-Finopsy work questions to get to know them a little bit better. Eric, are you ready? I am ready. Alrighty. Pineapple on pizza, yes or no? Yes. Beetroot on burgers, yes or no? No. Uh, cat person or a dog person? I love dogs, but I also have two cats, so yes. <laughs> <laughs> Treading carefully. Uh, red wine, white wine. Oh, white wine for me. Beer or spirits? Beer. Do you ask permission or beg for forgiveness? I ask permission. I'm a permission guy. Your favorite movie, director, producer, genre? Oh man, um, Shawshank Redemption for me is, is my all-time, all-time. Not many arguments there. Tea or coffee? 
I live in the United States. Uh, you can probably take a guess. It revolves around Dunkin' Donuts and uh, Starbucks, though, usually. And it's the coffee variety. <laughs> American brown water, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Your favorite <laughs> favorite TV series uh, genre? Oh, man. Um, for me, it's got to be The Wire. That oh. was definitely an amazing show. Uh, most recently, I've been getting into... Um, actually, Ted Lasso is, is the most recent one, which I've enjoyed. Um, and I watched Narcos for the first time recently. Also loved it. Nice. Uh, favorite song, musician, genre? Oh my goodness. Now, I've been all into 90s alternative. Uh, it's, I feel like it's been like that since the 90s, but that's that's my go-to. And then I realized like that was, what, 30 years ago now, so. <laughs> it's almost like oldies now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. you turn on the golden oldies. Uh, your favorite food? Oh, steak, easily. Uh, holiday, do you prefer to be doing activities uh, or relax and do nothing? I like to relax and do nothing, just do the family thing. That, that works for me. Uh, buildings and architecture or nature? Ooh, nature for sure. Your preferred superpower, supernatural ability? Uh, I'm really good at connecting people. I, I just, you know, I like building relationships and uh, connecting people together to uh, enhance those relationships. I think that's my superpower for sure. Nice. Uh, your favorite vacation location? What is that, man? Come on. Like, it's been a while. Um, so I, I've been to Alaska four times. That's been my spot. My aunt and uncle live there and my cousins. Uh, they've since moved from there and uh, we had a pandemic so I have not been able to get back there since 2014 uh, but you'll typically find me at the the shore the Jersey Shore uh, in Ocean City New Jersey with my family nice uh, do you prefer to text or talk text uh, your childhood nickname if it's safe I didn't really have a nickname when I was a kid so uh, I'm kind of boring um, I can tell you my my nickname now is the Grinch though if that helps. <laughs> <laughs> the story behind that too but yeah your proudest moment oh man um definitely so the birth of my son and my daughter you know are always going to be you know, the most you know, proudest I, achievement of my life. I can't believe I have kids, but um, they are incredible and I love them so much. And my life revolves around them. Uh, my son is six. Uh, his name is Ethan and my daughter is soon to be two. She is Olivia, a pandemic baby. Not Superb. Baby, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, you did well on a score of 96.4. Very respectable. Uh, uh, did Very I really? Well, yeah, yeah, the, what's well. the uh, the KPI measurement for this uh, scorecard? <laughs> uh, viewers, see if you can work it out. Okay. <laughs> it's, a, it's a complex algorithm, I'll say that much. Mm, um, sure. <laughs> so we'll take a break and call it uh, quits for this uh, portion of the show. Uh, come back uh, next week for the next episode of the show, uh, and we'll see you then. So that is it for another episode of FinOps Fridays. If you have any questions or feedback on this episode or would like to learn more, 
please feel free to reach out to us at finopsfridays at aptio.com. Also like and subscribe to get updates for future episodes.